What's so... beyond the black? What's beyond the black rainbow? Is it ill-gotten goods? Is it black market goods? Is it dicks? Um... <laughs> black market dicks, I guess. Illegal. Yeah. Well, no. What is beyond the black rainbow? What is the black rainbow? Is the black rainbow a metaphor for an asshole? You know, like Jesus Christ, dude. No, it is because like it's a like a gaping black hole, but also it is a rainbow because it is gay, and uh, um, that is that is, that is where I'm taking this today. That's the direction <laughs> I thought it was gonna go. I know. I thought I thought it was like just like you know. Oh, what's what's beyond what's beyond the black rainbow? I thought it was like a literal rainbow, and at the end was instead of a pot of gold, it was like you know like a bootleg iPhones or something. I mean, but if it's beyond it, wouldn't we be walking through the rainbow and beyond past just it? beyond can just kind of mean of, from the other side, like, I guess. I mean, from the other side of the black next to. Wouldn't adjacent, that be like somewhere the over black. the rainbow? Don't fucking quote Wizard of Oz at me, you son of a bitch. So welcome to episode 19 of Stuck in the Middle with You, a podcast where two guys take a look at a critically divisive film and see on what side of the Ken sense that, that, that they fall on. I ran out of breath as I was doing the intro one. Wow. Uh, <laughs> my name is Derek Gaudet. My partner in crime who probably has better lungs than me is Juan Barkeen. Say hi, Juan. Hi. And this was my pick, and I got to delve into a semi-old favorite because five years isn't much of a time to cultivate a status as a classic. But it's a classic to me in my heart. I'm sure it is because you're trash, and that's okay. You know, usually there's context for you, like, insulting me. <laughs> you're just hot right out of the gate. Just, this guy's a piece of shit. Let's, let's do this. But we're not here to berate me. We're here to talk about Beyond the Black Rainbow, directed by Panos Cosmatos, released in 2010. All right, so I love this movie. I love this movie so much that I watched it on goddamn DVD. Man, I don't oh love my. it enough to watch it on Blu-ray because I'm poor, but I love it all. I, I love it all the same. This is uh, kind of a weird, uh, textural, uh, abstracted horror film in the vein of something like Amer or um, that other movie that those people did with the long title. The uh, strange color of your body's tears, Derek. I, yes, uh, <sighs> because I know it. I, I know it by the French title, right? L'étrange couleur des larmes de ton corps. That's what it is. That's what I know it as. The disappointment as Derek. <laughs> but we're not here to talk about fucking <laughs> giallo homages made by a couple of Belgians. One. We're here to talk about giallo homages, except there aren't necessarily strictly giallo. Think, here's the thing. I think this movie homages. Nicks, they're every single movie ever. I think this movie nicks from, from like a lot. This movie nicks from a lot of movies from like say the late sixties to the early eighties. But we can, get to, we can get to that after you answer this goddamn question. <laughs> what is the movie Juan, about? Nothing. What the hell is <laughs> Beyond the Black Rainbow about? And I take issue with your, with your joke <laughs> answer because it's I will – Okay, okay. Let me fucking whatever. Right, it's about it. some uh, – like a fucked up weird therapist, doctor, dude who exists within and outside of this institute, uh, Arborea. The and he, uh, yes, the Arborea Institute, and he keeps this girl in like this secluded locale, controlling her mind with like weird fucking diamonds. And I thought it was a glass pyramid. <laughs> glass pyramid, glass diamonds, lights in it, white shit that like makes weird, vaguely potentially seizure-inducing lighting. And she tries to escape, and 
shit gets really fucked up. Yeah, that's kind of a that's kind of a sugarcoating. That's, that's really like it's yeah. That's really like as as. This as movie is not plot heavy. That can be no. This movie is not plot heavy. Not, there is no. There's not no plot, but there's like here's not the plot. Enough plot. <laughs> Here's here's the plot. The plot. I think I've mentioned this on the pod, and I've but if I haven't, I've mentioned it somewhere else. Plot in film is overrated. <laughs> Having a linear or semi-linear uh, sequence of events uh, over the course of an entire film is highly overrated. <laughs> but I will say this: there is a plot in this film. It's a girl, mm. a psychic girl, trying to escape a facility that is suppressing her psychic abilities. She's under. Okay. She's under the thumb of this dude played by Michael Rogers in a very, very, very creepy performance. He's great. I he will is say that. awesome in this movie. And uh, that's the one through line. And there's obviously some stuff about uh, doctors and patients and how doctors can sometimes take advantage. I don't think it's an accident that Michael Rogers is an old dude and that uh, Ava Allen is a young woman. She's super young. Yeah, no, I'm pretty positive that's very intentional. Um, and there's that sort of a creepy commonplace book that he keeps in, uh, in, in like a drawer that one of the employees thinks is like an ashtray, I guess. Because <laughs> everything looks like it was made out of obsidian. Yeah, this, more or less. Everything is a, a spit-shined reflective surface. If it's not made out of glass, it's made out of solid, something that's been polished to within an inch of its life. Yeah, sounds about right. But Even uh, outside of the, the area itself, it still looks pretty... It looks like a biodome. It looks like yeah. uh, it looks like the Epcot Center, kind of. A little bit. I can I can definitely agree with that. But, it uh, looks like a, like a creepy Epcot Center. Creepy but Ep then again, like Epcot Center is pretty fucking... <laughs> <laughs> terrifying in its own right, which is why Escape from Tomorrow exists. Uh, <laughs> Escape from Tomorrow, I think, is another conversation for another time, because I think we can get get a lot of mileage out of that movie. We can, but, I mean, um, whatever. Anyway, back but, to this. But I think something more interesting about this whole film is about the twin powers of repression and expression. Yes, I, I've heard. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> What Juan is passively making reference to is my letterbox review for this, where I use almost that same sentence. And if you, where Derek more or less masturbates over this movie, <laughs> I love this movie so much. There's no Jo material in this movie, but it does hit uh, hit a lot of my of my cinematic pleasure centers. And I don't think I'm so indulgent that I would just reread the list. But there's a lot uh, of shit I love. Please don't. Movie. Yeah, just just don't. Just I'll probably get to them like. I and mean, I'm sure you'll bring them up over in the like of this pod. Yeah. So yeah, this movie is not plotless, but plot is kind of secondary to the aesthetic. Imagery, the it's set design. all it about a, aesthetic. It's a two-hour-long sensuous experience. And it really is. It's not just. Uh, it's not just playing to your vision, playing to your ears, because the sound design is really good in this film. It's also the characters. The char there's a, a lot of points made in the film about what the characters see, feel, and very creepily smell and touch. Yes, God, he's so fucking uncomfortable to Michael, watch. Michael Rogers spends a good deal of this movie just kind of smelling things and touching things in a very, in a very creepy way. It's very effective. It is. And, and, um, but no, this movie lives and dies by its aesthetic. It, what I like about this movie is that while it kind of emulates a lot of movies, I mean, there's obvious, there's obvious stuff like 2001, Scanners. Uh, there's a little bit of Brian De Palma's The Fury in this. A there's, little bit. I can see that. 
Carpenter. Uh, there's other Cronenberg too. I wouldn't limit it to Scanners. Well, scanners is the big obvious one, but there's a little video drone. There's a little. I mean, this could have been a kind of uh, a, a sex and telepathy movie like Carrie was, but a kind of sex and telepathy movie. Yeah, well, basically linking sort of kinetic fury with like menstruation, right? It could have been, but it didn't even. It kind of just vaguely attempt to the go there. There's a lot of sort of hippie mysticism gone really horribly wrong. Like lots of nasty third eye shit in this movie. Yeah, there is. And I, well, one, one, one scene that I, I keep thinking about, which I assume would have, uh, I don't know. I mean, I assume it's enough altered of a states reference would have been, yeah, altered states. I think, uh, begotten, honestly. Begotten the, during the 1966 flash fest. Yeah. Like that was the centerpiece just, of the film. Yeah. It was very, very much like, at the moment, I still haven't seen that begotten. It sucks. It's awful. I hated watching it. It was like the biggest waste of my time ever. <laughs> I thought it's the most. I don't want to call it pretentious, but like, oh my god, it's garbage. Everyone's always like, oh my god, it's magnificent. It's so like surreal anything, and disgusting. Like, and I just I hated that fucking hmm. movie so much. If it's anything like the 1966 flashback sequence, I bet it at least looks cool. No, it doesn't. It just looks ugly. The 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 sequence in this movie looks really cool. This this movie just looks like grungy and ugly. It's not good. It's not good. And like I grungy. know like a thousand people would disagree with me, but like it's awful. And like I say this is someone who thinks like Beyond the Black Rainbow is like sometimes awful, but like mostly <laughs> great. <laughs> no, I am on board 100% of the time with this movie. I am willing to follow this thing to the end of the earth. Yeah, but there's also like, I mean, there's also clearly Argento. Is... There's a little Argento, but it's not really a giallo thing. I mean, there's like. No, it's the... not a giallo thing. It's just the color. There's color the... and texture. There's the color and texture. There's the one sequence where uh, where the Ascension knot. Uh, okay, I have to explain what Ascension knot is then. Uh, imagine. Oh, that's a, right. <laughs> okay, uh, this is basically like the Arborea Institute's answer to a security firm. Like their internal security is these like eight or nine foot tall, uh, I guess, babies <laughs> in <Yeah>. like retrofuturistic <laughs> astronaut costumes. And it's it's they're one of the creepiest things I've seen in a movie in a good long while. Yeah, they they're 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 pretty terrifying. I'm not and, gonna lie. even before you know they're babies. Yeah, and yeah, that's that. That reveal is just there's a it's it's a very stark kind of creepy image. There's a lot of stark creepy images in this film because that's what this whole movie like clings to. It's and a stark lot of the, creepy imagery. A lot of them kind of beautiful. happen. A lot of them happen during the the flashback sequence. That sort of name checks begotten. That name checks uh, altered states a little bit. There's lots of like simple practical shit going on. There's like there's like uh, instances where it's clear where they just have melted wax pouring from holes. Yeah. But it's really creepy. It's really effective. I, wouldn't, I don't know if it's like creepy, but it is very fascinating to look at. I'm like, I'm very I mean, distinctly, appe- like it appeals to me on a, like an aesthetic level. Yeah. Cause that's the literalization of a mind melting. Yes. It is not a subtle movie either. <laughs> it's not subtle, but it's not like, uh, it doesn't hit you over the head with its imagery. Well, no, it does, but like no, it not does. in a I mean, bad way. Like it's a sensory overload to the extent that like it's a movie about sensory overloads. Yes, it's about just not being able to cope with the world. Yeah, and uh, another movie that gets referenced is my beloved favorite Cube. Oh, of course. 
which and <laughs> uh, it's it's it, I think that might just be me reading stuff into it, but everything is there is, is a square. There's a scene where uh, where our char- main character Alina basically tries to break out of the institute and she has to cross a I guess like a uh, what's it a ventilation duct that l- really reminds me of a scene in Cube where they have to jump a barrier into from Cube to Cube. I remember that scene. I remember a lot of Cube though. <laughs> So I want to ask you this question, one, and I want to ask oh. you this question in episode 19 because I remember asking this question to you in episode one, and I haven't asked you this question since, and I feel Do like I would you be... now. Let's find out what the question is. You, can you just let me ask the question? All right, go ahead. <laughs> Why do you think this movie is so polarizing? Because it has no narrative. False. It has. Okay, I'm sorry. Let me let me let me let me rephrase that to make you feel better about your shitty opinions. It's not a matter of shitty opinion. There is a plot. There is forward moving action. No, there there is there is a narrative. It's just loose to the point where it just it feels like the movie doesn't care about the narrative. I wouldn't call it languidly paced. Oh, it's it's it, it 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 is slow. It is it's, a no. Language. I don't think it's that slow, frankly. I think. I mean, maybe it's just because I've been subjected to like two slow movies yesterday morning, and like the assassin in particular wore on my nerves so, so much um, because it was just like nothing was happening. And at the very least, in Beyond the Black Rainbow, like a lot of people will complain that nothing is happening, but there is very clearly like there may not be a lot going on, but there's the sensory overload is so visceral that it works to its benefit. Are you saying that Panos Cosmatos is a better filmmaker than Ho Shao Shen? No. I am <laughs> um, not. I would Damn never it. say that. <laughs> I have it. not seen enough you. of either one of their movies. Well, this is the only one that Panos Cosmatos has put out. Yeah, exactly. This is but... still his uh, first movie. Yeah, which only surprises movie. me because I think he should make more movies. I would be very interested to see more oh, definitely. work by him. I think he could make a lot of really cool stuff. I mean, obviously, like, it's what, like, almost 110 minutes, more or less? Um, uh, something, and, something, yeah, like something like that. But, like, I can tell. And this also, I think another thing that bothers people is, like, this isn't exactly everybody's like not everyone's partial as partial to this aesthetic as we are like yeah this is kind know, of 60s a... 70s 80s sci-fi pastiche is not exactly like <laughs> it's not no, everyone's it's not for party. everyone yeah. but those who like it like it a lot yeah it's artsy as shit it's the kind of thing like i would actually love to like just watch this in a museum muted for like a long while except for like i will continue to stand by this i don't like the last bits of it i like them i was i was cool on them the first time around but i came around i don't i don't like once they leave the the institute i just it doesn't vibe with me like the rest of the film does and i think it bogs it down for me a lot because even though it turns into essentially what like an alex garland film <laughs> and I use Alex Garland as my go-to for this because Alex Garland's films all follow a very distinct pattern, which is essentially meditative, vaguely existential, really aesthetically pleasing, 
sci-fi that ends up turning into a sort of slasher in the last act. <laughs> All right, this is okay. You ready for my defense of the ending? Okay, feel free. All right, go ahead. Here we go. The Arborea Institute, the mm-hmm. area where the movie is contained. I mean, okay. By the way, I should say that I'm ripping this off wholesale from Steve Carlson. So, Steve, if you're listening, thanks, buddy. You cracked the code for me. Oh my god. So I'm lifting this straight from him, okay? The Arborea Institute is this, is, is this sort of isolated place, right? Mm-hmm. And the movie is set in 83, 1983, right? And this place looks like it was lifted straight out of like 1971. More or less. More so it's it's out of sync with the time. I mean, we see Reagan on TV. We see – I mean, there, the, he, drives a, he drives a definitely what is an 80s car. Mm-hmm. But everything in the Institute is out of step with the times. Okay. Those two drunk fucking hoser dudes, they're right in step with the times. Those are dudes that existed in 1983. That makes sense, yeah. So when Elena escapes from the Institute, she's not just escaping the Institute. She, it's, it's, a, it's a kind of like culture shock. It's like time travel. She okay. leaves an ice, a place that's been basically unstuck in time for like say 20 years – or 15 years, into what essentially amounts to the present day. And so does the movie. It becomes a dumb old slasher movie. Uh, even the way that the fat dude gets killed is like typical 80s slasher shit. But the thing is, like, some of the Michael other Ross, in the spoiler movie alert. are so satisfying. I know, but that's because, that's because there are 70s deaths. Ugh. There are Cronenberg deaths, in the literal sense where, like, one of the ladies' eyes explode. Yes, I know it's beautiful, but the and Michael Rogers dying because he falls, he trips over something, and his head falls I on a rock. It. Okay, that's I an, hate it. That's I what, hate it. That that scene. That's an unfortunate '80s death. Right on. Such bullshit, though. To escape from the past to engage with the present. He's Michael Rogers at that point is literally unstuck in time twice. Ugh! 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 He doesn't know how to operate in 1983 in the, in the actual 1983, and that's, I guess, the literalization of that. Like, it's a fair defense. Shit, I don't disagree with your defense. slasher film death. But, like, ugh. And then her laugh. Her laugh just feels like such a slap to the face. I don't know about that. I mean, you just escaped torture and who knows what else, and now, as scary as it is, freedom. This dude just fucking falls feet, in front of you. Yeah, feet caked with mud and grass for the first time in your young life. You've known nothing else except sterility. Yeah, I mean, I'd be like, you know, laughing. Really? Yeah. You're so... <laughs> it's fucked up, but the only way to deal with shit that's fucked up is to either laugh or cry. Ugh. We've seen her cry plenty of times in the movie. The first time we see her laugh in the film is when someone does this fucking dumb slasher death. I guess. I don't know. I feel like there's just such a... Did you stick around after the credits? Yes, I did. That I don't get. I like that shot a lot. I I like the shot. I don't get it. I really want to ask Panos Cosmatos on Twitter. It's like, what the fuck? What's up up with the Century Not action figure and the static? Yeah, what does that last shot mean? Like... (laughs) I mean, but I don't want to do that. That's like the lamest thing you can do to a filmmaker. It, it, I mean, well, can you it, explain it, this to me? It is, but like, I mean, maybe like write an essay with like multiple, 
multiple options and just tweeted at him. <laughs> what do this? Well, first of all, three people would read that article. It'd be me, him, maybe. Yeah, it would be me, you, and him, probably. Yeah, that's that's uh, no Michelle would. <laughs> what does Ascension at the end of Beyond the Black Rainbow mean? Mean <laughs> an exciting collection of 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 ideas. We should we should collect assumptions from everybody. Well, the obvious one is that they're like secret transmitters. Yeah, maybe. But uh, let's not dwell on this. Now I want to dwell on the soundtrack. I want to dwell on the score. I really Cave's amazing analog synth assault. The music was composed by one Jeremy Schmidt of uh, BC rock band Black Mountain. Oh, my. uh, And uh, the only thing you need to know about these guys is that they have a song on their first album called Druganaut, which is entirely appropriate. (laughs) Druganaut, I hate you. No, it's it's called Druganaut. You can look it up, which I'm pretty sure is a reference to the Black Sabbath song of a similar title called um, Supernaut. And I don't I think see. it's I don't think it's an accident that the dude the the nine foot man babies in the movie are called sentio knots. So many knots. <laughs> yes. I guess you could say. Damn it! Fuck. All of our study and analysis is going to be for not. I will end you. <laughs> I am going to get a weirdly shaped knife and sniff your blankets. Please do. I don't think I'm going to do that. I didn't know where I was going to go with that one. (laughs) Neither do I, but, you know, whatever. We'll roll with it. You know, you know. I know. (laughs) Uh, But, yeah, just uh, organs, mellotrons, and just an array, a bounty of progressive rock keyboards descending onto the soundtrack. Uh, So a little quotes, a little goblin here, a little carpenter there, but mostly just this great atmospheric synthy score type thing. And uh, bonus points for the use of Venom <laughs> as the artist who plays the songs with the fucking metal Hesher drunkoids at the end of the film. Wow. And then uh, a blast from the past, SXQ, over the end credits. That was a good song. I dig it. I, I, I like that. I mean, I, I bothered to, like, look it up. I mean, I don't – like, I'm not going to look up – I'm not going to, like, get the soundtrack or anything. But, like, it it's my... really cool for, like, the movie. But, see, like, lately I've been having this issue with horror movies um, where, like, they're all obviously aesthetically pleasing and whatnot. But, and, like, the, the music is fantastic and shit. But, like, I don't know. I don't want to listen to them outside of their – outside of their film like i have a similar issue with it follows where everyone's like i'm gonna buy the vinyl for this movie and i'm just like but why because i wouldn't want to ever listen to this outside of the movie itself well they work so perfectly in tandem and i don't think they work as well well disaster piece was already was already kind of a a known quantity in the chiptune universe i know and uh, did the soundtrack for the video game Fez, which was amazing. Yes, it was. I've, and here's here's what's funny. I've never played Fez in my life, but the soundtrack is so fucking good. <laughs> I mean, they're both pretty. I mean, the game itself is pretty good too. Yeah, that's what I keep hearing. That's a that's an opinion I have about the the soundtrack. What keeps this from being one of those movies? Like I've talked one of about, those movies. Yes, I've talked about this on then the house lights a bit about. Movies that are just kind of like, like winking pastiches of but, older uh, kinds of movies. Is it just craft? Is that just a difference? I mean, I feel like is it just meticulousness that makes a difference? 
I think there's a difference. I feel like, okay, when you have something like, let's say, Lost River, another debut from a filmmaker that very clearly draws upon aesthetics from a different era. Okay. It almost feels like there's too much trying in certain movies and others just don't. I don't think that Beyond the Black Rainbow is trying to be any of these other movies and it thus establishes itself as its own cool original film even though it is very much like technically a pastiche of movies (laughs) this is sort of what i said before about uh emulation versus quotation Mm -hmm. like there's no direct reference there's no like direct references to anything but it has the vibe of like 20 different movies going on at the same time exactly yeah so it's like sometimes those movies it also ma- it also matters how well you manage to intertwine all of these movies because sometimes two different aesthetics can clash really really poorly, which is the problem with something like Lost River. You can't have a Harmony Korean film that occasionally decides to take a trip down memory lane and slip into David Lynch's Giallo Club. Like that's not how movies work. They're not very good if you try doing that. <laughs> I think maybe Ryan Gosling told himself that he was going to make a certain kind of movie. Like, there's a lot of people who, like, put, like, I don't know why we're talking about Lost River now, a movie that I have not seen. I mean, I only literally bring it up because we're, like, it's a very apt director who, like, first-time director who draws upon a lot of classic aesthetics, I guess, is what I was going for. And so ultimately, in his puts... case, it fucks up, and in... Panos's case, it works out, in my opinion. It's just, but like, this comes back to my question: Is this a matter of like uh, skill, like in terms of like craft, or is this like? Yeah, I think so. Or is this like I uh, like Panos Cosmatos had a clearer idea of what he wanted to do than Ryan Gosling did? I think it's skill. I mean, I think it's skill and having the knowledge of know like because like having the, the ability Black to Rainbow, know when too much is too much. Beyond the Black Rainbow, it's 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 a sensory overload thing, but it feels very precise. Yeah, everything is in its right place. And it, I don't know, it feels it, knowing enough. I don't know if if uh, Lost River has a sloppy feel to it. It does. Okay, so that's <laughs> probably what it is, that's, or at least part of it. But see, like even even though I don't feel like the ending of Beyond the Black Rainbow needs to be the way it is, I still like I can understand its purpose even like your explanation in particular Steve was Steve Carlson's explanation. Yeah, Steve Carlson's explanation in particular was very not enlightening, but it was definitely uh That like, whole review is pretty good. That's probably like the single best piece of writing I've seen on Letterboxd. In terms really? of not necessarily criticism, but in terms of like breaking down a film. Mhm. That's like tops. What's the ideal version of this movie? Is it a museum installation? Is it Terrence Malick doing a kind of a horror thriller thing? <laughs> is it Terrence Malick doing a horror thriller thing? There's already other people who've done that. But here's the thing, though. This movie is not very talky. And when it talks, it almost talks like, it talks like a doomsday prophet. The thing is, like, sometimes I just don't even, like, I didn't even understand what they were saying. Like, I would have to rewind, put the volume even higher 
Because everyone just kind of mumbles like this. And just, I don't just think I don't think uh, Elena says a fucking word during the whole film. She just laughs. She, she lets confident. she, she, she doesn't have a te- single line. She lets her telekinesis do the talking. Exactly. To go back, what's the ideal version of this movie? Is it something that has like no dialogue and just runs on images? Is it just something that has like you know bare the bare minimum of expository dialogue? Is it a museum piece? Is it an installation? What's the ideal version of this? I don't know. I don't know. I don't think it could exist any other way, honestly. Yeah, I guess the only way it could exist otherwise is if it were like an actual space, which is why I would go museum installation. But then you're like, I would with- absolutely go to like a museum that literally was the institute. No, that'd be kind of that. That'd be dope, but scary. That would be fucking terrifying. But I would, I, I, I would love it. I want the Bioshock version of this. Oh my god. The next Bioshock game should be just going through the Arborea Institute and having the sort of hallucinations and weird perceptual things going on. And I feel like this would make a good sort of survival horror video game. So maybe that's the idea of this. I think so. I would agree with that. Anyway, uh, is there anything else, final points and stuff? This movie is a goddamn masterpiece, and I won't hear otherwise. I mean, I don't think it's a masterpiece, but I think it's a very cool, cool movie that should probably be seen by anyone who likes movies yeah this is a and especially movies. aesthetics movies like if you're a fan of uh, late 60s to early 80s genre movies specifically uh, that very kind of pared down abstract science fiction get on this you'll adore this it takes a lot of cues here and there but what it does is it synthesizes them very well the seams don't show because there's no seams in melted plastic and glass Wow. Yeah. Tying all that Loser. shit together. Loser. Loser. You know what? Anyway. <laughs> so as you can probably gather, my final rating on this is fresh. It's a Pantheon movie for me. Uh, this is a, I don't know, five stars, a, a Dan Salete red movie, cream of the crop, Hall of Fame, exploitation gold, my friend. Yep. So what about you? I'm, I'm, I stand by fresh. I have my issues with it, as you've all heard. But, um... I dig it. I dig it as a whole. I think it's a very cool movie. I don't mind, like, I just rewatched it and obviously enjoyed rewatching it. So, like, so I'd watch it again in a couple years. I think it'd watch be, it with headphones. Cool movie. Watch it with headphones. What I want to do is, like, watch it in a the theater, honestly. Oh I think that'd God. be very, very satisfying. Uh, <laughs> I would love that. So, uh. Um, Recommendation time. It's my turn first. Your turn. Right? Yeah. Um, so I was going to go with like, there's so many options on what to go with. I can't obviously go with anything by the director. I don't feel like looking into the actor's history, but I am sci-fi movies in 2010 were pretty cool. So I there figured Inception, which I know that you're not recommending, but was pretty good because I can't recommend. No, I love Inception. I really do. I th- like obviously like a lot of people think it's overrated and shit, but like it's it's a fucking damn good movie. Yeah, it's uh, basically the cinematic equivalent of a Tesseract. But inside the Tesseract is a heist film. It's like it's not as deep as everybody thinks it is by any means, but no, it's just it's like so a, fun. Yeah, it's just a Cracker Jack heist movie set in like, you know, a, like I said, a Tesseract. Yeah, and like the other one I was genuinely considering recommending was Resident Evil Afterlife because I adore that movie and it's like welcoming Paul W.S. Anderson back into the world of Resident Evil. 
But um, no, I'm not picking either of these. I'm picking a very low-key, very romantic, very dramatic, very just just beautiful, beautiful character-driven movie, which is um, Mark Romanek's adaptation of Kazuo Ishiguro's Never Let Me Go, which is con- coincidentally the only Alex Garland <laughs> <laughs> movie <laughs> that is such a <laughs> beautiful, nice, not deadly thing. <laughs> Starring, if I'm not mistaken, a known suffragette, Carrie Mulligan. Carrie Mulligan, Kira Knightley. Known Spider-Man. Yeah, and... Uh, uh, well, you're not going to name his name? Oh, Andrew Garfield, sorry. Yeah. I, I, you didn't, like, say anything for, for Kira Knightley. I don't know, known, um, known pirate? Really? That's that's what you're <laughs> going to go for? A I mean, pirate? Yeah, not like, not, <laughs> not like think... known Jane Austen protagonist? You know what? No. You shit. Like, <laughs> you wouldn't ask, go for ask, Pride ask, and Prejudice, you ask me, Dude, ask me how many Joe Wright films I've seen. None. I'm Zero. Sure. Big old. Why oh, haven't you seen any? Oh, Joe Wright is so good. Like, if I, I pretend Pan never happened, like, <laughs> he has <laughs> he has such a good career. I love you know, I four of his movies. I keep confusing Joe Wright with uh, Joe Johnson, the guy who did uh, The Rocketeer. Oh, I, I know who Joe Johnson is. Captain America, the first Avenger, The Rocketeer. Like, I know who Joe Johnson is, but how do you mix up Joe Johnson and Joe Wright? Joe Wright has such a, like, defined aesthetic. I don't know, the same way. The I'm same terrified way. of for Pan. The, the same way I mix up, like, um, who's two people I mix up that I... That I that there's no reason I should mix up. No, but no, just it's it's not it's kind of going to be faces or jobs or anything. It's just going to be their names, like. Um, Bro, I don't fucking know. It, it, Whatever. It, no, sometimes they mix up. Actually, we're talking Joe Wright, Joe Johnson, and Joe Jackson, the singer songwriter. Jesus Christ, you're a fucking mess. <laughs> also, in Never Let Me Go are Charlotte Rampling and Sally Hawkins, who are both perfect human beings as well. Oh, um, I, I got one. I got one. I mix up uh, Char- uh, Charlotte Rampling and Vanessa Redgrave. Okay, by like faces and existence, no, or just, like just the concepts of both those women. Okay, I mean I've accidentally said like Gainsbourg instead of Rampling before, but like that's just accidents because Charlotte. <laughs> hey, I, I know I don't I can't explain it beyond it's just two concepts because that, you're so. weird. Yeah. Um. Anyway, Never Let Me Go is a really beautiful, beautiful movie, and it's really sad, and it made me cry a lot when it came out. And I think Mark Romanek is a brilliant fucking director who does not have nearly enough feature films to his name. The fact that that was his last fucking movie in 2010. Well, he's got his music videos to do, right? I get it, but like... And like, he did like Taylor Swift Shake It Off, which like, frankly, it's a catchy song and it's fun and shit, but like, it is... Like, why? Why? Like, that's below him. I expect more. You you know why? You want to know why one? Cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. I know. I know, but like he's only made like. It was he made this? He made one hour of photo with Robin Williams. He made and Static. Static. I don't. I don't know that one. That's it. Static was his first fucking movie in the eighties. Oh shit! Okay. I hate my life. So one hour of photo he... was a long time coming then. Yeah, two thousand two. God, Mark Romanek, make more movies. I know you're not listening to this, but like, fuck, dude. Like, I know you're making like a Dan Brown movie, which breaks my heart because like, why are you associating with Dan Brown? 
<laughs> you know what else is brown? Shit. Yeah, yeah, sounds about right. Um, but anyway, go ahead, Derek. What about your recommendation? Like, I literally wanted to watch the movie Death Hunt, the the movie with Leah with Lee Marvin and Charles Bronson like chasing each other in the Canadian North, just so I could recommend it for this podcast. But I didn't get the chance to do it. Although I will watch Death Hunt sooner rather than later. So I'm left with uh, a very very tenuous link. Uh, our lead bad guy Michael Rogers is credited as uh, onlooker at uh, Jesse James's death in the excellent movie The Assassination of Jesse James <laughs> by the coward Robert Ford I directed by Andrew Dominic <laughs> released in 2007 I believe and that's the movie we have to go with this movie looks amazing Casey Affleck is amazing in it which is a sense I never thought I would say uh, sorry well, Casey, Casey Affleck Casey so good in like a lot of things though I really like Casey Affleck Brad Pitt is really good in this movie. Roger Deakins shoots the hell out of it. This was the year he was nominated twice in Professor I know, and lost. And lost both times. The assassination of Jesse James by the carrot Robert Ford. I almost said Robert Frost. <laughs> <laughs> he got shot by um, the poet. Yep. Yep. He totally um, did. So anyway, I'm just going to go ahead and say that my next week, which is this week, because which it is, is our 20th episode. Yeah, Dude, it's, it's, oh, it's we're recording night. these back-to-back, motherfucker. Yeah, we are. God help me. Uh, <laughs> um, our next movie is one that I was kind of in a rush to record because I am very worried it might lose its 50% standing, but it magically ra- it went has. up six fucking reviews over Maintain the last 50. week. And it maintained its 50 perfectly. Welcome so to the world of tomorrow. Tomorrowland yes. by Brad Bird, which is from this very year. This very year. Most modern movie. My goodness. Yeah, so. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm super excited for it. <laughs> well, I can't be excited for it because I've already watched it. And well, we'll I talk know, about that later. But I'm excited to talk about it because fuck you. Uh, there's, a lot to, there's a lot to chew on. Uh, yeah. plug, plug time. All right, uh, uh, go ahead. Juan and I run a website. It's uh, dimthehouselights.com. That's where all of our long-form film criticism goes, and we share the space with four writers, Michelle Arf, Chris Mello, Ross Burks, and Carl Harris. Uh, you can catch us also on Twitter and Letterboxd. I'm at both places at Derek underscore G. Juan's at both places at W-O-A-H, it's Juanito. That's W-O-A-H, it's Juanito, all one word. If you're interested in this pod specifically, you can go to the pod's webpage, which is sitmwypodcast.tumblr.com. There you can find links to our Twitters, our letterboxes, our RSS feed, and most importantly, our iTunes show page, where you can give us ratings, reviews, feedback. We crave that. And we still haven't really gotten any, or at least not enough so that we can see it. So, uh, you know, stuff the ballot box, will you? Uh, Juan writes uh, sometimes for the Miami New Times, and uh, I don't have another outlet really except for my new portfolio blog, which is Montreal Schlock City, which you can find at MontrealSchlockCity.com. Oh my! So, uh, so you ready to go take a piss break and record the next one? That is exactly what I was going to ask you to do. Um, All right, cool. All right, so should I just like stay on the line or call you back or whatever? Well, I'm going to go take a piss and probably eat something, but first we got to tell the people that we'll see them not in two weeks, but very very soon yeah sounds good peace out